I think it's important to keep our minds focused on the future. For us to think about where we will be and to think about where the Lord's church will be five years from now, ten years from now, where we'll be in a generation. Will the church at Bobby Branch be strong? Will you be faithful? Will your children be faithful? What does it take in order to bring that to pass? For a few minutes this morning, I'd like to talk to you about some role models. And our young people are being starved for positive role models. When I was a child, I remember thinking about some people who had done some great things. I think about those men who were astronauts who were making some very dangerous flights and then ultimately making it to the moon. I think about some people in our community, people who were strong and faithful. But you see, our generation has changed. I spent quite a bit of time over the last couple of weeks trying to read about young people to find out how they reason they think, particularly the ones called millennials, and also to try to think about what they're facing. And the truth is, is if you look and see the musical artist today, you've got the little spoiled brat known as Justin Bieber, and I'm not saying anything other than reality. And you've got a young lady who grew up with such promise, who's just become as vulgar and vile as anyone, Miley Cyrus. You think about the athletes. In fact, just a few months ago, Ray Rice was prosecuted for spousal abuse. Adrian Peterson was charged with child abuse and child neglect. We all know about the spoiled bad boys that are a part of all of the professional sports. They're certainly not good role models. You think about our politicians. I didn't even list any names. I think all of us know that to try to find a politician that a person feels like they could say, oh, this person here is, is honest and he's noble and he's a public servant. Do you realize that your young men and your young women are really starved? for public people to be a good role model. And then I remembered something in thinking about all this, and I thought that's what I need to talk about. It's probably been more than 20 years ago, Brother David Sane came to speak on one of our lectureships. And he was still preaching at the Wood Avenue congregation at that time, and he came in and he said, we have a real successful program. It's called the Timothy and Tabitha class. Timothy for the young men, Tabitha for the young women. And I thought, wow, those are two really great role models. And I think it's worthy of our taking a little bit of our time for two things. Number one, for those of you who may be younger people and you're trying to struggle and say, I really wish I could find somebody that I could focus on in the Bible who would be a good role model, 
Well, I think we'll see that they are worthy of that. Then number two, I would like for those of us who are a little bit older to step back and recognize, are we instilling within our children the love for Bible characters, particularly like Timothy and Tabitha? Let's begin with Timothy. And what I want to do is present to you Timothy as the Bible presents him. To look at his life and to think about that. Timothy came from a racially and culturally mixed home. Notice with me, Acts 16, verse 1. Then he came to Derbe, Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. Now, I want you to just mull over with me in your mind for just a moment or two. Was he Jew or was he Greek? It's just like a a child who has a parent who may be Hispanic and one who may be what they would refer to as Anglo. Or maybe a parent who's black and a parent who's white. A parent who is Asian and a parent... In other words, a totally different background and culture. If you were to think about what would it mean to be Greek, I'd suggest to you the book of 1 Corinthians, particularly chapter 1 and chapter 2, would give you some kind of insight along with Acts chapter 17. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the world through its wisdom did not know God It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. That's 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. In fact, earlier in that verse, he talked about where is the wise, where is the disputer of this age. And it talked about those who were perishing, that the word of the cross was to them foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You have to realize the Greek mind thought differently. It thought in terms of the gods, plural. There was the god of the sea, Poseidon. There was the god of this, the god of that. Their their minds thought differently about things. Their culture was that of worshiping the human body and worshiping the pleasure that sometimes it brought. And yet you have the influence of a Jewish mother. What about religion? How would that change? You have a young man growing up in that kind of home. Acts 16, 1 says that his mother believed, but in contrast, his father was Greek. Some of you may have grown up in a home where one of your parents is a believer and the other is not. You may have grown up in a home where you have one family that has a cultural background that is just entirely distinct from the other family's background. Timothy, his mother and grandmother, saw that he had a strong God-in-heaven religion instilled within him. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, 
which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in you also. There's a picture there that there's been a faith that's been instilled from grandmother to daughter and from daughter to grandson. Chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, verse 15, And from childhood... You have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You think about here's a mother who saw that her child growing up in a home was taught the right thing. But now, Timothy was not yet circumcised. Look with me at verse 3 of Acts 16. Paul wanting to have him go on with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region for they all knew that his father was a Greek. You see, even though Timothy had instilled within him this strong faith in God, there was still a part of Timothy that reflected that Greek culture. In the Greek mind, to be circumcised was a mutilation of the body. For the Jewish mind, it was a sign of the covenant. You see the contrast and the difficulty that one might face in a situation like that. But Timothy was found having both cultures. So he was a young man with challenges for identity. You know, those of us, like I was raised by parents who had a very similar background. I was reared by two parents who were both Christians. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I was reared by parents who didn't have a distinction, but not everybody has that luxury. In fact, not everyone has the ideal parentage or childhood. You're looking for someone that you could look to and say, this is someone that I can identify with, someone that I can see made it and made it well. Second thing to observe about Timothy was he became a part of a very great missionary team. In fact, when you start looking at the scriptures, just go over to Acts 17 for just a moment. And you look at verses 14 and 15. And it says, Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. Both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. I want you to observe, Paul goes on ahead, but you have... Timothy, and evidently must have been a good friend, Silas, both of them worked together. Notice Acts 18, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Paul and Silas worked together. You can see Paul at Thessalonica, but you can see Timothy there as well. 1 Timothy 3, 2. And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer, in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. 
Timothy was a man that Paul could send. Chapter 1 and verse 3 of 1 Timothy. I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. So it really doesn't matter whether it is Thessalonica. It doesn't matter whether it's Ephesus. It doesn't matter whether it is Berea. It doesn't matter whether it is Athens or Corinth. Timothy is an indispensable part of this team. And then you start looking at all of the letters that were written. I'm not going to mention them all, but if you'll notice, Romans 16, 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle, and Timothy, our brother, Philippians 1 and verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, Colossians 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy was with Paul as he wrote the majority of the letters. Very important young man who went from this culturally diverse background to being a part of a great missionary team. Timothy was also trustworthy. He earned the trust of Paul and others so that Paul could leave him. When Paul writes the Philippians, he tells them, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For they all seek their own, but not the things. But you know his proven character, that as a son serves with a father, so served he with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. That tells you that Timothy is a person that Paul can put his full confidence, his trust in. I can send Timothy and know that Timothy will handle the matter. But don't get the idea in your mind that Timothy was a person who didn't have to struggle, who didn't have to go through some difficulties to get where he was at. I'd suggest to you, when you look at Timothy, you'll find a young man who had people looking down on him because he was young. He had to earn respect while in his youth. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. You see, young people find themselves often growing up in a world where people say, you don't have any experience. You don't ha you've not done anything that I can look at and say, okay, here is how I can trust you. Timothy is able to demonstrate to others the way he's living that he is worthy of their respect. But Timothy also was a man who was somewhat hesitant to step out and lead. Here's a young man who is a little bit timid. He's a little bit man with a shaky confidence. 
when Paul writes them in 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy, he says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 of 2 Timothy, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which was in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and of a sound mind. Timothy, step up. You've been given talent. You've been given ability. Use it. Timothy was able to watch and learn and then to be able to teach others. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And Paul had already told him back in chapter 4, verse 6 of 1 Timothy, he says, If you have carefully followed my doctrine, my good faith, you go to 2 Timothy 3.11, and he's talked to her chapter, verse 10, he said, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, and he goes on and on. Timothy was a man who was able to listen and learn. So, okay, let's look at these admirable characteristics. Summarize them, if you will. He appreciated and learned from a godly mother and grandmother. If you want someone to be a good model to you, learn to appreciate your parents. Appreciate and value those parents who instilled godly values in you. Timothy did. He had a cooperative spirit capable of working well with others. You can't accomplish what Timothy accomplished unless you're able to get along with people, unless you are able to work with people. I'm amazed sometimes how some people come along and they feel as if everything's all about them. That's not Timothy. Here's a man who understands I've got to work with other people, I've got to cooperate with other people to get things done, and he did he earned trust and dependability. Young people, if you want to find someone to look up to and say, this is someone I can be like, here's a man who comes and says, okay, when he tells you something, he'll do it. And he will live up to it. And he passed what he learned on to others. Now let's talk about Tabitha for just a little bit because you young ladies... You need some real positive role models as well. Some women that you could look at and say, oh, this is a person that's got some things that I need to embrace in my life. Brother Ken read to us just a few moments ago from Acts 9, beginning with verse 36, going through verse 43. And that's all we know about this woman, Dorcas or Tabitha. I'm not going to reread that. I do want to draw attention to a couple of things in this passage. Notice with me verse 36. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was 
full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. Drop down to verse 39. Peter rose up and went with them. When he had come to the upper room, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by weeping and showing the tunics, the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Her name was Dorcas. That was her Greek name. Tabitha was the Aramaic or Hebrew name. But both the names mean gazelle. And a gazelle is an antelope which is known for its beauty, also known for its swift and graceful run. In other words, it's one of those animals as you see them run, you just say, oh, that's a beautiful animal. I am sure somewhere along the line, when that little girl was born, her mother and dad or someone looked and said, oh, she is just a beautiful little girl. We're going to name her Gazelle. We're going to name her Dorcas, Tabitha. She was called a disciple. The word disciple means a learner, but when you come to the book of Acts, it carries with it even a further idea. In Acts 11 and verse 26, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That means that Dorcas had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dorcas had repented of her sins. Dorcas had confessed that she believed that Jesus was the Christ and she had been baptized. She was a Christian. The text says in verse 36 that she was full of good works and charitable deeds. Those words are similar, but not identical. When you start thinking about good works, the Bible says that Christians ought to have them in their lives. And the Bible also, as we will see in 1 Timothy chapter 5, enumerates some of these. For instance, Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Colossians 1 and verse 10, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Second, or 1 Timothy 2 verse 10, he says, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. But when I get to chapter 5, he's talking about some women like Dorcas or Tabitha, well reported of for good works. And then he begins to explain what that means. If she has brought up children, she's lodged strangers, she's washed the saints' feet, if she's relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. I want you to know, for those of you who are women, that when you give birth to a child and you rear a child, you are doing a good work. You are fulfilling one of the very purposes for which God made you. For the bringing of children into this world and providing those children with a godly example. We've already seen that with regards to Eunice for Timothy and Lois for Eunice. If she's lodged strangers, washed the saints' feet. You know, there's sometimes very menial tasks that all of us are called upon to do. 
These are things that may not appear to be great in the sense of significance, but aren't you thankful that there are good women who have the characteristic of hospitality within their hearts? Relieve the afflicted, diligently followed every good work. That's who Dorcas is. That's who Tabitha is. But then you think about charitable deeds. Sometimes these are translated alms. That's distinct from good works because it comes from a root word which means to show mercy or compassion on a person who is less fortunate. In order, If there's someone, for instance, who cannot walk and you have to help them up or help them in, that is a charitable deed or an alms. Or if there's someone, maybe for instance, as Peter and John saw this lame man at the gate called Beautiful, begging alms, you help somebody who's in need. Cornelius did that, Acts 10 and verse 2. He says, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. But you see, in the Bible, those who give alms are not doing so because they want attention to themselves, but because they want to give God the glory. In Matthew 5, verse 16, let your light show shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You move right into chapter 6. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. He talks about those who would sound the trumpet. Those who would try to draw attention to themselves. Good godly women help those who are in need and sometimes no one ever knows what they have done. She was an example of generosity. I think when you get to verse 39, you see that garments, the tunics that she had made while she was with them. The way the text appears to be showing, everybody's showing what she has made for them. Now, very quickly, let me summarize the characteristics of Tabitha. She was a caring compassionate person who felt for the needs of others. She was one who did what she could. She didn't have every talent, but she had many talents. Like Mark 14, verse 8, she has done what she could. She had a serving spirit. Remember Jesus in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And one of the things that I think is important is just like when you look at Timothy. Timothy, because of the way he lived, earned the respect of others. When you look at Tabitha, you see that here she is at her funeral and everybody is weeping and crying because they miss this good, godly woman. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and loving favor than silver and gold. That's what she did. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of one's death and the day of one's birth. I see in Tabitha a woman that was fully appreciated and loved by all those round about her. There's some great role models in the Bible. Not perfect people, because none of us are. But still faithful people, godly people. Now let me ask you, those of us who are a little bit older, am I living my life like a Timothy, like a Tabitha, such that others could look at me and say, they would make a good role model as well. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. In Hebrews 6, 12, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Good folks like Timothy and Tabitha. But I'll tell you, the only person worthy of being, being imitated is one who's become a child of God. This morning, if you need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything is ready for you. The baptistry is warm. There's garments in the room. I know one thing. I would love this morning to see a new brother or a new sister in Christ. But more than that, the angels of heaven will rejoice. And if you need to become a Christian, why not this morning come forward and sit up on the front pew and we'll assist you in becoming a New Testament Christian. Are you a child of God carrying along a baggage of sin that you know that you need to get rid of? You're, you're not doing what is right? Why not this morning respond while together we stand and sing?